get different people. Yeah. The so the consciousness is what we have. It's not we have it. We are that. But what limits it is what we're conscious of. And the possibilities you're conscious of in the realm of self-centeredness, which is the disease that we suffer from, Alcoholism and addiction is just an extreme subdivision of that. But self-centeredness, everyone's suffering from that point of view. That point of view limits what you can be conscious of, the possibilities. You think you're conscious of separation because you perceive bodies as real, separate, long-lasting, independent objects. You're, You're entertaining the possibilities that you could not be loved because you believe that love has to come from outside of you. You believe the possibility of the best you can do with being okay is I will be okay later. Literally. What is all the talking usually about? Don't worry, I will be okay later. But let me tell you why I'm not okay now. There's never a sense of being okay now. There's always a sense of not being okay or sort of off, but I will be okay later. Based on what? What you do or don't do. That you will be okay based on what you do or don't do. So in recovery, they talk about obsession with self is the root of the problem. I'm just entertaining something else. It's identification as self. It's different. The obsession with self is what the conditioned mind does to reinforce the identification. One of the biggest statements in recovery is because it actually points to the source of all suffering, all pain, and all fear, really, basically. He says, why are you in so much fear? And a lot, thank God he doesn't let us answer, because that would be another novel that would be written from whatever, page 65 on. So he says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Yeah. So self-reliance is unreliable. Yeah. So what is the verb of self-reliance? The verb of self-reliance is playing God. That's what it is. If you want to see the verb of self-reliance, it's playing God. Your head resting in the reliance on this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity plays God from that point of view. Look at it your day. When you wake up, don't you think you have a feeling like how it's going to be today? You haven't even lived it yet, but you're already, you're like weatherman is up and telling you it's going to be a stormy day. It tells you how you were, how you're going to be, how others are, how they're going to be, how the world is, how it's going to be. It's playing God constantly. Yeah? So the reliance on self is the dilemma. We're in this state of reliance on self. We don't really see it, the activity of it. But the verb of that would be playing God. Yeah? So the reliance on, in self has to be in the head because that is where self appears. Yeah? Self isn't growing out of your elbow. It's not a place in Gilmore that you're uh, relying on. It is, you're relying on the mental process. That has proven to be terribly unreliable. How does it prove to be terribly unreliable? It plays God. It plays God with your energy, basically. It plays God with the energy that you are. The, uh, the, uh, the incredible energy or ability to entertain, it 
saddles and then you entertain only the possibilities it offers you. Which is, instead of being okay now, you maybe I will be okay later. That's the best you can hope for. And if you notice, when it, if that, that will being okay later is usually based on what you or someone else does or doesn't do. It's always a conditional okayness with you playing God involved in it. Just like you knowing God is unbelievably self-centered. Yeah? Because the head acts as if it can choose not to know God. Yeah? To me, that's playing God. Playing God with the idea of God. I say, I'm going to take God, which is everywhere, move it somewhere, to a special somewhere, that I can either journey to or not, based on what I want to do. I would say that's playing God with what you call God. Yeah? What's playing God look like? It's false evidence that appears real. That's what it is. It presents false evidence, but they appear real to you. That's what the, what the acronym of fear is. False evidence appearing real. So, self-centeredness, identification of self, presents or represents the world in thought and in feeling and interpretation as false evidence. It gives it a whole different meaning. It interprets it. So that false evidence gets presented and then it appears real to you. Hmm? For a little bit or for a long time. That's the point. Sometimes it'll appear real for you for a few minutes, and that's a good day. Sometimes it's like a few weeks, and that's a depression. It's that simple. It's all difference in degrees, but the point is, the solution isn't in shortening or lengthening the effects, but to see it's false evidence. But why does it seem to appear real to you? Because what's interpreting the false evidence is also false. So false evidence can seem to be real to another false evidence. The false evidence that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That you are a body that's conscious, instead of consciousness of a body. You are the body, and you believe you are conscious as this. That is incredibly false evidence. And it's obviously appearing real to you. So you, this is the embodiment, how we're traveling as Paul, is the embodiment of fear. It's false evidence that's appearing real. And then it causes it to be apt to fall for a lot of other false evidence appearing real. That's playing God. So it tells you, you're never going to be loved. Yeah. I've known this guy, I tell you, I had a guy I worked with in Australia. And he had this woman, his girlfriend. And I was around and I watched him. And he was pretty benignly indifferent to her when they were together, basically. He could, really wasn't paying much attention to her. And then she finally got the wherewithal to leave. And as soon as she left, she suddenly became the source of all his happiness. Now that she was gone. This is what the mind does. Doesn't that, isn't that what makes suffering juicy? You don't have something that you really wish you did, but when you had it, you didn't really want it. But when you don't have it, it makes it seem like you would do anything if you had the chance to have it again. <laughs> it's like makes it so juicy, doesn't it? If you had the same attitude you had when she was with you, if she left, it wouldn't have been a big deal. 
when she left, because it wasn't a big deal when she was there. <laughs> yeah. But now, she's gone, the mind makes it a big deal. It represents it as if, there goes the source of all my happiness. He said that exact word, and he, ended, and he tried to kill himself a couple of days later, and he survived, and now he's fine. Yeah? But he said that exact thing. I've lost the source of all my happiness. <laughs> and I had to say, I beg to differ with you. Let me explain how I used to see you with her. You were basically not present. But you see, that doesn't make it juicier. Why would you miss something if you didn't really miss it? It has to create a false evidence that you really miss something. Yeah? And then it appears real to you. And what happens? A huge effect occurs. You feel as if you just blew the biggest opportunity you ever had, yet you were blowing it every day for a few years. And it didn't seem to be bothering you much. But now that it's gone, now it seems to be bothering you quite a lot. So, self-reliance is the source of all anxiety. Why? Because it's unreliable. What's the verb of self-reliance? Playing God. The mind plays God. When you're relying on self, which is a product of a mental process, the biggest meaning you can give anything is that it's you. It's a bigger meaning than giving something the meaning of God. You given this mental process's product, called the idea of being a self, the meaning that it's you. It is the big, big God. Now, it may want to know a God, but that God will always be a lesser God than this one. That's why in AA it says, you know, I want to know a, a higher power of, of my own understanding. I don't think that's a good idea anymore. I think you, I would, I'd like to know a higher power of its own understanding. Why would I want to frame that incredible power with my understanding of it? <laughs> it's always going to be weaker than this God called self. It may get you a parking space outside, or maybe you'll have a relationship that works for a month without flipping out. Maybe you won't get into a fight after July 4th barbecue, these little things. But it will always be framed by the bigger God. If I want a God of my own understanding, it ain't God in a way. <laughs> so I want to know a God of its own understanding. Unlimited possibility. And you know what? I can be conscious of those unlimited possibilities because why? I'm conscious. I would say I'm consciousness. Well, let's just even start with I'm conscious. So if I'm conscious and there's a field of infinite possibilities, I can become conscious of that, yeah? Because I have the one quality that is necessary to entertain or realize some things available, which is I'm conscious. But why is it that we just keep rehashing the same old possibilities that self-centeredness applies, yeah? We've gone over, every one of us in this room has gone over every possibility self-centeredness has to offer. A number of times over. We just re-uniforming it, rehashing it, re-masquerading it, re-geographical locationing it. But basically we're doing the same old, same old. Literally. It doesn't have a giant field of possibilities because its whole intent is to become unconscious to the, that field of possibilities and to become conscious as a self. It has to be unconscious of a lot of possibilities to be conscious as a self. Because the possibility that you're going to bump into everywhere, while you're in everywhere, and if you're conscious, you're going to know that you bumped into everywhere, is, is a hazard to selfing. Yeah? That's why it doesn't like this particular moment as it is. It wants to use it to entertain the past and the future. 
It wants to fill up this opportunity because this opportunity is laden with possibilities. You may just wake up to the fact I'm not this, this very moment. So if I can, if the mind can distract me from recognizing this very moment and to be entertaining what's not happening all the time in this very moment, it hides something that's unhideable. Yeah? It hides something. It makes the open secret a secret. It makes the gateless gate a gate. It makes everywhere seem to be far away from where I am. Why haven't I felt God today if it's everywhere? There must be something that's going on by me being identified with this system of thought and interpretation that blocks me out from being conscious of a lot of other no things and things. Yeah. And then become hyper-conscious of the thoughts that are happening in this freaking noggin. And yet, being so hyper-conscious and being driven so crazy by them, I never recognize they're the same old, same old. They're just being rehashed day in and day out, and it seems like they're novel and very unique and meaningful because they're about me. Yeah? If someone else shares the same thoughts in their head that day, I'm bored with them in three minutes. I'm saying, Jesus Christ, you know, go fucking do your laundry, something. Stop calling me. I don't want to hear about what's not happening anymore. Yeah? But you and I were sitting there going over the same, same, thinking it's really, really special and different. Why? Because it's about me. <laughs> that was about you. I have no interest in that, literally. But about me, I have great interest. I'm very enthusiastic about what's happening to me. Yeah? To you, no. But to me, unless it's related to me, then I may be. <laughs> But to, you know, to me, it's incredibly enthusiastic. Why is that? That's right. Your mind loves the, the self. It made it. The mental process made it. It's like the, it's it's like it's very pale uh, shadow of God's creation. The mental process made an idea of being a self. It loves it. It loves it like, you know, supposedly God loves all its children of God. Well, the mental process loves its little child, which is a self. And then all the thoughts that the child has about itself. It loves it. It cherishes it. It polishes it. It nourishes it. It cultivates it. it... I mean, walk by a mirror. How many windows do you go by in a street? And how many times do you look at your reflection? Are you looking in the thing, the fashion, you know, the thing? No, you're looking at you. You're the big fashion show. Oh, I really like that dress I saw today. What dress? The one I was wearing. I saw it 800 times. Every freaking window. Mirror. Every, you have an incredible knack to, to turn just when there's something reflecting this body back to you. <laughs> it's the mind trying to get a glimpse of what it made up. Whoa, whoa. Look at me in an action pose. Look at me in this pose. Oh, I'm so bummed out. Oh, but your mind loves watching it. Oh, look at him. He's so sad. He's so important that something could hurt his feelings so much. Another earth-shattering event. Have you ever seen the earth shatter in your life? How many earth-shattering events did you have this week? Maybe, well, it's early. Two or three. It's just Monday. you got six more days. It says in our recovery program, there are no big deals. Give me a break. Everyone in this room, there's been about 20 big deals today. Hasn't there? 
Pete's coffee didn't give enough foam in the latte. <laughs> Somebody wrote in my big book. Now I have to get a new one. I don't want anyone to read and think I actually underlined that statement. I thought Paul was wiser than this. No, that wasn't mine. Check that out. It says there are no big deals. And that's why I love it when it says you'll lose interest in your little plans and designs. I he uses the word little. I love it. <laughs> because when you're in self, are all your plans and designs seemingly little? They seem big, don't you think? Yeah. Should I take that extra luggage or not? You'll ponder that for months before a trip. I don't want to, should I go with the carry-on or pay them 20 bucks? I don't know. I'd really like to have those extra shoes. But I could probably buy a pair there. But I don't know. I wouldn't want to be caught without them. I really like those shoes. But, no, no. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Get on the fucking plane. <laughs> this is selfing. This is playing God. Making nothing out of nothing. Making mountains out of molehills. Yes? Giving meaning. Getting inordinately upset over the newspaper boy missing your porch. But don't care if 800,000 Africans just died that day. <laughs> Forget that. But hey, he missed my... Th What's his number? I want to get that number of that guy. That kid. It's insane, yes? Meaning is seemingly misplaced. You know? Something is so small and it's made so big and what's really big is unnoticed. It's called being preoccupied with self. Yeah. So, we all have the incredible gift of consciousness. You can be conscious of. Yeah? Right now, most of us are conscious as this, which is causing us to be unconscious. We believe this is what we are and that this is conscious. And we miss the true nature of consciousness, which is no thingness or spirit. It's not a body. You as a body are not conscious. You are not seeing. You are not hearing. You are not feeling. You are not tasting. You are not touching. And you're not having the mental experiences you think you have. There's consciousness. Consciousness is that scientist looking through each one of these little telescopes. This telescope lets us see the earth, you know, the world, like the other telescope lets the scientists see the stars. This world can only be seen through this telescope. This telescope takes the undifferentiated light of consciousness, hits a couple of lenses, and reflects a world and differences and this and that. But all there is is consciousness. The everywhere of everywhere is everywhere. There is no special somewhere called the Paul. That's also included in the everywhereness. So at every, at every, at every moment, what's looking is that acknowledgement of everywhereness, no matter what you think it is that's looking for. All your ideas of the you that's looking for is still the what's looking. The what's looking is that sense of everywhereness in all our little special somewhere locations. So what's looking is what you and you and you and this you and this you and this you did to do. All of these yous are looking for what's looking. So right where you think the you, that special somewhere, Pablo is, is the everywhereness. Right where I think the special somewhere of Paul is, is the everywhereness. Right where the special somewhere of Tony is looking for, is the everywhereness. Because why? It's everywhere. 
how could there be a special somewhere out of everywhere? So everywhere is always available at all times, right where you are, in whatever condition you think you're in or not, because it's everywhere. So all our little fixed special somewheres that are excluding us from being conscious of the everywhereness because we're obsessed with this special somewhere. And we may want to entertain everywhere, but we want to entertain everywhere as an experience to this special somewhere, which causes everywhere not to seem to be everywhere. Because when there's a special somewhere, everywhere has to seem not to be here. For you to entertain a special somewhere, you've got to deny, being unconsciously or consciously, you have to deny the state of everywhere. Because you would see the total ridiculousness of the special somewhere. Like that, instantaneously. You would see it, does, it's, it has no semblance of reality. It's false evidence appearing real to you. See, I may see you as a somewhere, but I do not take you to be a special somewhere. <laughs> no, I do. No, 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 no. I take this to be a special somewhere. And maybe it's some woman I may take to be a special somewhere for a little while, but then that will be, she'll become a, a here and there'll be a new there to go to. Yes? So, but all the while, this will always be the special somewhere. Yeah? How can this special somewhere ever experience the everywhereness as a somewhere? It's impossible. There has to be a recognition there isn't a special somewhere. That's the, that's the being conscious of everywhere. It's the same consciousness. It's just one of them is identified as this apparatus. So it becomes conscious as this. And so while there's the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, while the seeing of the scientist is going through the telescope, the telescopes keep saying, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. It's all about me. Life is happening to this telescope. No, 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 no. The scientist is what's having the experience. The scientist is what's conscious of the stars. It is consciousness that is having the experience of being here. You are the vehicle for that experience. You are not having the experience. There is no you to have one. The you is an experience consciousness is having. The mental process, this consciousness of that mental process, the mental pro process produces a product called self. And how can a product of a mental process ever transcend the mental process? How can... A mental process produce a product. How could that product take flight away from the mental process? It doesn't exist other than in the mental process. The mental process produces the sense of a self by selfing. The verb of the mental process, selfing. It, it makes up an illusion of being the noun. In our case, this noun seems to have alcoholism, which is a disease of the mental process. It's not like cancer. It's not in the bones. It's not in the blood. It's not on the skin. It's in the mental process. So the self that the mental process has made is infected with alcoholism. The mental process is infected with alcoholism. So whatever product it makes is going to be infected with alcoholism. Yes? So the self that it made of you and of me and of Pablo and of everyone in this room had this little injection 
of alcoholism in it. Maybe it was just potentially there, maybe it was already there when it was five or six years old, but if the right little Petri dish and the right little chemical reactions out here are produced, what happens? The alcoholism has a great expression where? In the selfing of you. It doesn't show up in your body. You don't get a big tumor on your knee. It's your thinking. It's how you feel. It's your interpretation of life. It's so, it's like in, in the big book, it says fear is like a fabric that runs through, is, is a thread that runs through the fabric of your existence. That's how deep it is. So what you're taking yourself to be you and what you believe is the true authority of life has been taken over by a diseased mental process. It's made up an idea about you and you become identified as it. You as consciousness has forgot its nature of being conscious and now takes this as its nature and now it's living life as if I'm conscious as Paul. And if I'm living life as, as uh, if I'm conscious as Paul, what can I be? Unconscious. I can be conscious or unconscious here. Because you've got to get, in this world, this little dream fabric, it is based on this movement called duality. It's just like the tides of the ocean. There's a low and a high tide. Here there's an inhalation and exhalation. Yes? There's male, female. There's day and night. There's left hemisphere, right hemisphere. Left arm, right arm. Front and back. Two there's always two sides of a coin. You can never cut a coin where there's only one side. There will always be another side. This is the appearance. This is the defined pattern of the appearance. It's duality. This apparatus is a dualistic conveyor. So when you think of something, you can think of its opposite. So when you believe that you can be conscious, you can believe you can be unconscious. And in that believing you can be conscious and unconscious, what is forgotten? All there is is consciousness. You, don't, you do not entertain the stability of the state called consciousness. You entertain a conditioned state called being conscious or unconscious, and usually it's based on what you do or don't do, and that's playing God. It takes the quality of God here, which is awareness and consciousness, yes, and it makes it, it makes it a field where it can play God. Because it claims the consciousness as being I must conscious, and then this, as a dualistic construct, can be more conscious or less conscious. That's like playing God with God. We went over it on Saturday. I don't care if... Pick out the greatest authority of all authorities in your seeming life. Maybe it's the Dalai Lama, and there's nothing to do with him personally. Maybe it's the Pope, or probably not now, but so let's say maybe, maybe some great teacher and stuff. And I tell you, and you adore that person, and you'd go to them and they'd say, Hey, bro, there's nothing wrong with you before, now, and later. I bet you how long you'd keep entertaining that as being so, after hearing it from the greatest of your authorities. As soon as you left, and probably in about an hour, the great authority would take over. I better stop practicing. No, that's not what the person said. They said you are totally okay, just as you were, as you are, and as you will be. Oh, say, oh great one, thank you, thank you. You leave an hour later, you've made it into something. I guarantee it. You are the greatest authority. You, either the gut or the head. Either this is playing God, or God is being seen, or seen from. Yeah, it's either that or that. I don't care. Bring out the greatest authority. You shoot them. 
you saw if you saw Jesus, you'd probably be the one clapping for his crucifixion. You know, at first you really love him, but after a while he'd be a nuisance because he'd be such an example of freedom. You'd want to get rid of him because you don't want to be free. You want to want to be free, but Jesus Christ, get away! I don't need that. I need a dead example. It's easy to interpret a dead example. But a live example, I don't want a live invitation. I want a, a dead invitation that I can just construct the way I want to see it. Yeah. Let me interpret it. Which is what happens. You always become God. You always have relevance. Even in the knowing of life itself, you become the naysayer or the yaysayer. It says in recovery, the how and why of it. Quit playing God. I think it's a very important statement. What's playing God? The mental process that's identified as a self. Yes? And when consciousness has been captured that by that, its verb is playing God. That's what it does. And it has one devotee, and it plays God to you. I mean, it's, it's not even difficult anymore. Why would you even have to strain to try to figure out the false evidence? Why not take everything it presents as false evidence? Unless it's working on a car or putting two wires together or, you know, fixing a flat. That's great. The working mind's great. But other than that, forget it. It's all false evidence. It's constantly presenting and representing life in a false light to produce a certain effect on you. Usually anxiety. So it, can't, it cannot produce enough anxiety in this moment, so it entertains time. It says, man, I've got this whole thing called time, and all these possibilities could, pop, could happen to me. And because I'm so important, it's really, really just a logical thing to start worrying about what could possibly happen to me in the future. And it just so happens... The head that's going to entertain that tends to say, if something's going really well, it's going to end very quickly. And yet, if something's going mad, it says it's going to be a long-lasting depression. So now that take is now going to speculate on your future. Millions and millions of possibilities, because they're not happening, so anything can happen. What do you think it's going to do? It's going to be like the riff of all riff, like John Coltrane. Yeah. And a giant depression note. It's just going to go off. Ah, nausea. Worrying about what's going to happen to you when I leave here. Do I have enough agendas in the freezer? That's your security for the night. Oh, let me get home and call up my boyfriend for the eighth time. Oh, thank God someone likes me. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. Everything's conditional and circumstantial based on what? You! This is the biggest thing I've seen in the last few years. This incessant drive to be relevant. That's what this God is. It wants to have relevance. It wants to feel like all of its God playing really demonstrates God. It wants to be relevant, and at least to you it can be. It's your final authority. I don't give a damn who you say you follow. You're going to be the one that finally says okay or not. People have told you to you're blue in your face you're okay. When, when do you believe them? Literally. 
people come and meditate, meditate, and then the guy says, hey, you don't have to ever meditate again. And they okay, and then three days later, they're signing up for another retreat. And yet they said, I really trust this person. Obviously, they didn't. Who else, who did they trust more? He doesn't know how much purification I need. <laughs> he doesn't know the heinous acts I have to sort of clear up in my life. He doesn't know the bad thoughts I were having today about that girl. He doesn't, all this, it says very simply, what's looking is what you're looking for. It doesn't quantify or qualify the looking. It doesn't say you were looking, you know, compassionately today, so that's what you're looking for. It says just a basic dog shit sense of what's looking is what you're looking for. Why is that? Because the what's looking is hiding the seeing. The seeing, yes? The seeing is what you're looking for. The seeing. You can't pick it up because you're trying to see it with glasses. You have learned a way to see, and it's a, called a way of looking. And all those ways of looking are blinding you to the state of seeing. And every way of looking usually has something you have to do to get to the experience of seeing. It's like in recovery, there's, I saw a, a video of a guy who I always liked, Chuck C. The other day. But he had a book called The New Pair of Glasses. So isn't that what recovery has given us? It gave us a new pair of glasses. Hopefully what? To, to counteract the old pair of glasses called self-centeredness or alcoholism or addiction, yeah? So we put on these new pair of glasses, and in the beginning it's difficult for a lot of people because the old pair of glasses keep overriding the new way of looking, yeah? We're looking at the new way of looking, but we're looking at it the old way. So we're sitting in the back, fuck this, uh, I want to do this and that. Uh. You're dying from a terrible disease, but you think you have a great option. Uh, I don't really have to do any of this. You know, and, uh, no, yeah, all right. Well, there you go. So then suddenly maybe one day it kicks in, and you see, you get a moment of clarity, and now you start really looking through those glasses. And after a period of time, they override the old way of looking, substantially enough so that you get a daily reprieve. Yeah? As long as you maintain this new way of looking. But if the daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition, contingent means it's based on that. So basically, your reprieve is based on the maintenance of your spiritual condition. That would still seem to give you a lot of room to play God, I'd say. Because <laughs> you'd be the one who'd be judging your spiritual condition, wouldn't it? But... If you realize your consciousness or entertain it or that you are a spiritual condition, then there is no gatekeeper because the spiritual condition, the living of it, is the highest form of maintaining one. And there is no one to pass judgment how good or bad you're doing because there's no beginning or end. There's no special center in the everywhere. There's no spot at any point in the everywhere that you could take a journey to another point of everywhere. It all would, all would be encompassed in the everywhere. In other words, you have absolutely no relevance to your primary condition of being a spirit. That's why it works. Because as soon as there is an option, you become relevant, the self, and that's where it plays God. As soon as it seems like it's based on what I do or don't do, that is, that is the trumpet for that God to enter. 
As soon as it looks like I'm somewhere or I'm in a certain condition and I've got to get there and get into a better condition, then who's going to tell me how I'm doing all along the way? I may listen to a, a, a similar, you know, authority, but deep down it's going to be, woohoo! Your head, yes? Come on, you have to see it. What does that mean? It has relevance. Yeah? And then its relevance overrides the fact that you are spirit, and now it becomes relevant for you to become spiritual. And then it tells you if you've done enough to be spiritual. Yes, or sitting and meditating, maybe you start out with 20 minutes, but then if you get to an hour and you don't make that hour, you don't have a good day. It plays God. And then you're rushing through the day to get back to the pillow so you can make up that hour. Oh, now I'm feeling good again. It's playing freaking God. When you were two to four years old, if you were in an abusive situation, I was not sitting in meditation. <laughs> and I was wide awake. Bing! More so than I ever had as a spiritual experience in all those practices. That, that way of traveling is it. It is not an experience. A spiritual experience can only be had by something that's non-spiritual. Because spiritual experience, there is no experience in it. There is no you that's having an experience. There's the absence of you. It's just spirit. That's the beauty of it. It's your total absence is its presence. There's nothing in absence to... to there's nothing an absence could do to produce the presence except admitting that it's absent. That's it. That's all your job is, is to admit that you're truly absent as a self. That's the presence. <laughs> now maybe there's so much playing God in between you and that point that you'll have to do things for a while. And you may have to have things and may have to look like you're approaching it and being good so that your mind will give you a break. Maybe, maybe not. But after a while, you can't keep relying on that to tell you how you're doing. You just know by the doing of it. You, know. you are an authority, not here, but in your gut. And you know when you sense the verb of being. You sense it. It's a presence. You feel it. You intimate it. There's a movement that captures you. And it's a day goes not like it used to go based on goals and time, but it becomes almost a timeless event. Every day is just a context with all these little balloon animals appearing in it. They all pop and it's always the same context. It's awareness all day. Because now you're not conscious as this, you're conscious of this. Your consciousness prior to this. Yeah? So now your life doesn't start here from this point, but it starts from that point. And from here, what was very confusing becomes very clear and obvious from here. Here, back again, confusing. Always based on doing and having. Having to be God. Having to have relevance. Having to have everything you feel based on what you do and don't do. What you've omitted or committed. It's always going to be based on you. There's always going to be an accounting for what you've done or not done. And that will be the reason why you're feeling or not feeling the way you are. That is playing God to me. How can you not see it that way? Look at it. What's adding up and subtracting everything for you? What says that you've accrued value today? And what says that some value will be extracted? 
Who's the accountant up there? Who is it that's passing judgment how you're doing? Is it some power that comes down from above and informs you how you are? Or is it the mental process? I feel uncomfortable. What did I do? Someone just yawned. I must be boring. It's always fucking self-centered. It's looking at everything as if, as, as if it is the main mover and shaker. This is the unbearability of being what you're not. It's really frustrating for a God to realize it has no power. So when you keep expecting people to do what you want, or notice what you want them to notice and they don't, then your God, what does he do? He produces the rationalizations, excuses, and blame, doesn't it? What would happen if some God, who supposedly can do anything, can't do anything? When those deliveries weren't delivered, what would come up? He would excuse, make excuses, he'd rationalize, and he'd blame, yes or she? Yeah? The fact is, it didn't come to pass the way it says, so how does it cover a tracks? It makes excuses blames others, or rationalizes it. And then usually it comes back to you. If you would have only been better, it all would have worked out. Once again, you are the relevance of all relevance. That's playing God. Rooted in the state of reliance on self. We've been shown a solution. I don't believe the solution as it was presented went far enough. Unless you see this as a foreign installment, you will never be able to entertain true freedom from it. It's impossible. You'll just keep trying to get better. Or not. You can therapize it. You can socialize it. You can get its self-esteem. Or you can recognize it's not you. And you'll lose interest in it. You won't lose interest, but you'll lose interest in it. That interest and attention will go other places than to your black hole called self. Yeah. Now, we know what interest and attention and faith given over to that produces, anxiety and everything else. Maybe you haven't found out what it will produce when that interest and attention is surrendered some other direction. But I truly, truly believe you will experience it as an ease and comfort in your own skin. You will see that you outshine your days, the circumstances and the situations in it. You'll be able to see what gets overwhelmed and not be overwhelmed as that. Your faith will manifest now as an ease and comfort, not based on how much money you have or don't have not based on if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or not, not based on even health, just on the fact that consciousness is all there is. And it's the antidote and the immunity to all that false evidence that's appearing real to you. If you take something that's false and it seems to appear real to you and you deal with it as if it's real, that's not a good skillful means, so to speak as they say in Buddhism. Yeah. The place where to catch the fear is in the false evidence of it, not when it appears real. When it appears real, it's sort of like the false evidence is a blueprint of a house. 
Yeah, you decide you don't want to move into that house. When it appears real, you got a house on your hands. What am I going to do with this freaking house? Yeah, I got a, you know, someone's got to knock it down. It's like a huge thing goes on. So the point to catch it is at the false evidence level. Yeah, that's where the immunity is. When it appears real, that's when the skillful means are held in such high esteem. But those that are held in high esteem have high esteem on that one level, but not at the blueprint level. The blueprint level is where you realize it's false evidence. That's the highest means. Not how to deal with fear and deal with resentments, but not to have resentments and not to have fear. To me, that's the highest means. And that happens in the blueprint. That's where false evidence appears real. Do you ever have a resentment? There's a feeling, let's say, somebody does something, but it doesn't get framed as a as a resentment until the mind frames it and then represents it to you many, many times over, making either you or the other person the more of the antagonist each and every time. Yeah. And it keeps doing that. That's false evidence appearing real to you. So let's say you write down the resentments. This is a damn good thing to do when they've appeared real to you. But if you see, yes, if you can see that the resentment is just a re-feeling of prior false evidence, yes, when you see that, and I'm not that, then you see all the resentments, yeah, they don't get to the one thing they trigger anymore, and the threat passes. The same thing with fear. It's great to have an inventory process when you're in fear, but you can outgrow fear. It says it in our program. We will outgrow fear, the fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. He covers every base. I mean, today, tomorrow would have been good enough, but then he says the hereafter also. So he covers wherever your mind could possibly think there'd be anxiety for you. He takes it all in one thing. So if you outgrew fear, that must mean you grew into it. Don't you think? I would think so. If you look at the dualistic construct here, if I can outgrow something, I must have grown into it. So how did I grow into fear? That meant I didn't start out in anxiety, but I grew into it. And I bet you the growing into anxiety coincided with the, the ascendance of self as God, as being you. I guarantee it. If you would see, that's why it says also recovery says, hey, if you look, if someone steps on your toes without provocation, you will invariably find, if you look into it, that you made a decision based on himself that puts you in this position to be hurt. And another thing in fear inventory says, it, meaning fear, sets off trains of circumstances that bring us misfortune. We feel that we don't deserve. Now, when I used to have misfortune I felt I didn't deserve, what was my reaction? I blamed people for it. Because I had something I didn't deserve, so let's see. Why did this, you, da, 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 da. So therefore, that would be my solution to that, yeah? What would happen is that would motivate what? Another decision based on fear. More trains of circumstances, more misfortune, yes? More resentments, and so on and so forth. And if you're living in that loop, a solution to it sounds pretty good, like, let's get loaded. Let's go to a bar where everyone's going to go over everyone who's fucked with them today. <laughs> Everyone in a bar has done the first two columns of an inventory. They know why they're mad and who they're mad at. But there is no recovery in that. They're there. They're totally clear about it. 
They are totally been trying to dump the feeling of discomfort onto others by blaming them. Yeah? So what happens? If, where would you want the relief in that? Not in hoping that there will only be always good consequences, but at the decision point. What's his one? Decision based on fear of self is what? Reliance on self. The active verb of that is playing God. So, the false evidence appears real. A false evidence appears, and it appears real to you because you buy it. As soon as it becomes real to you, you act as if it's so, and then consequences hit the fan. Yeah? Haven't you noticed a five-minute outburst can cost you five years in prison? If you had five extra thoughts in a certain situation, you'd be, you'd be in prison for 30 years. That's the only difference between me and a guy in San Quentin. He had five extra thoughts. If you don't have immunity to thought, you don't have immunity to any thought. If there was a gun there and you got mad enough, you would say, I should shoot that mother, and then you may have shot him. I know people in San Quentin who did killed someone in a blackout. They're going to be there the rest of life, and they don't even know, they don't, can't remember what they did to get there. Can you imagine that? What an incredible demonstration of playing God. This whole life has now been tattooed by, by that one reaction in a five-second moment. I have it with me. I got run over by a car in 1980. It's been affecting me for 30 years. I can't remember the night, but I was loaded. I thought I was missing a party. It was January 30th, 1980, in a freezing cold night in Long Island. I'd been to the bar already. There was only a waitress and a bartender. I went back home, started feeling irritable wrestles and discontent. My head says, I bet you a big party broke out there. <laughs> I drove back there. I never made it across the street. I thought I was going to there for a party, but I was going to meet a Chevy Monte Carlo. That's what happened. Got run over by a big Chevrolet. It affected me as this for the rest of my life. And I can't even remember what happened. This is what happens when this plays God. It may know that it has no power, so where it has power in this, it may leave a big effect. It just may leave a big effect so that you'll remember by its effects that it was powerful. Yeah? There's an immunity, man. How are you going to have immunity to thought if you think you're the thinker of them? There's no fucking way you love them. It's like, room, it's like combing their hair. You go over every one of them and open it up like a present. You don't realize it's all being, the meaning is being injected from you. The thoughts are not bringing you any meaning. You inject the meaning of, to the thought by the my of it. When you hold a thought as my thought, your conditioning injects meaning to it. That's why you and I can have the same thoughts. Yeah? If I can see them as yours, they won't drive me crazy. But the exact same thoughts held as mine will drive me crazy. It's not the thoughts at all. It's the my. It's when I'm identified as the thinker of them or they're about me. That downloads a lot of old ideas into the thought like an injection. Then when my consciousness sees the thought, it opens up like a present and all those old ideas come up. So let's say you believe you're a loser. Let's say there's a belief in there. So let's say the day goes, oh, I wonder what those people thought of me. It seems very innocuous. It's not just a set of thoughts. I wonder what those people thought of me. But now the fear of being a loser gets injected to them because they're about you. And you flip out. You never go back to that meeting again. You never even say hello to any of those people. 
Because you know, you know they don't like you. It's insane, this thing playing God. And yet, consciousness is still there, so at night, when you'd really like to go to sleep, you're awake or you're conscious to all of its representing. If only I would have, I should have, if they would have. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's like sifting into dead embers. You're trying to find some fucking light. It's just dead. It's dead. It's bye-bye. So what we look at here is simple. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and seeing thoughts. The mental reaction to that is I'm seeing, I'm hearing. That's this, yeah? So the consciousness that's demonstrating its contact is seen as me being what's in contact. That's how the mental process hijacks the act of God being and makes it I'm being. I'm hearing, I'm feeling. And from that point on, it plays God. And on and on, false evidence keeps appearing real to you. And unfortunately, there is a reality that's appearing. It's in what's happening. And we're not reading it well because our minds are obsessed with what's not happening. So when what happens occurs, what we do is we, we present it as false evidence. Like, I can go home and say, you know, I'm sh- I know that lady doesn't like me. And the lady never had a thought about me. But you'll go home believing, you, uh, I, I sense it. It's an intuitive hit. That person doesn't like me. It's total baloney. And it even a matter if, if she doesn't like me, it doesn't matter. It's the meaning I'm giving it. It's like someone not liking me means... You see? This is the injection from here. That thought does not bring it. You put it in. So what I'm saying is that right at that point of the blueprint is the immunity. If I'm not identified as the thinker of them or a, a, or the object they're about, which is the idea of being a self, I have immunity to the thoughts. It doesn't mean they don't come up. It means I don't follow them. Yeah? What happens then? If I don't follow them, what, what do I follow? I would call that the living God in a way. The sense of being conscious. If you're holding out to be special, I'm telling you. I mean, everything I was looking for, I was spending like $500 to get certain nights. It's totally available freely at all times. You can't be pulled over for it. You don't have to kiss anyone's ass for it. You don't need to, if you like scriptures, read them. But you become a living scripture. Your day is a living scripture. It is so freaking obvious what's happening here that all there is is consciousness. Yeah? 
It erodes. Like, you know when water runs over rocks? All day, conscious contact. Running over this thinking you are the noun. <laughs> all your old ideas and beliefs, all these things that granitize you and concrete you and you just feel like you're so special and rigid and uh, just this water of being, just what, just all your sharp angles get rubbed off, rubbed off, rubbed off, rubbed off, rubbed off. All there is is verbing, there is no noun. Life is not happening to us. It's happening, period. Happening to us is hell. Seriously. It's hell here. When life is seen as it's happening to me, that is a hellish realm. It's the exact same life seen as it's happening. Who's going to Marin today? Anyone? (laughs) Oh, Pablo does. Oh, good. Any questions, eh? Hey,